Blog Talk Radio. This is the Ken Reedy Show. Can you hear me? I cannot hear Ken Reedy, the host. This is the producer, Michelle, and I'm talking into... The Ken Reedy Show. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me. The crowd can hear me. I'm live, Ken. I cannot hear Ken Reedy, the host. This is the producer, Michelle, and I'm talking into... The Ken Reedy Show. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me. The crowd can hear me. I'm live, Ken. So if you're on if you're on listening to the Ken Reedy show, um, hang on and Ken and the guys will uh, call in and get themselves on. How's everybody doing tonight? We're doing great. Ken's not frustrated or annoyed at all, but you know it's a Sunday night. So stay tuned. Hang on for a couple minutes. He'll be joining. So hi, this is Ken Reedy on the Ken Reedy Show. Who's hearing me now? Are you? Are you? Am I going out? Someone? So I got. I'm echoing in the headphones. Oh, Jesus H Christ! Am I going out on the computer right now? Somebody, let me know. Someone, someone, text me. Someone, I, you can hear me. So here's what happened. Now we're gonna try and do a show. This is goddamn ridiculous. But anyway, you've tuned into the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Not the best in goddamn technology. Uh, anyway, so I don't know what's going on, but something's going on with, with the studio and Block Talk Radio. But for some reason, calling into the studio is actually working. But the studio that I have set up that I spent hundreds of dollars on here for some reason is not working right now. So now I'm on the air, and I'm trying to get myself settled. So thank you all for tuning in. Even in the Kenrys, I can't even call us the best in pro wrestling talk. I just don't know what to call us. But anyway, just to let you guys know, so this week we're going to do kind of a, a roundtable discussion. We had, I mean, we really have, like, no format now. Like, everything's gone out the window. But we're going to do a show tonight that um, myself, Rocky, and hopefully we'll bring Dave up. Hopefully that, that happens. And we're all going to bring up random topics that we have had no pre-show meeting. We have no outline for the show, and we're just going to bring up random conversations. And I'm going to pick, like, 
like a draft order out of our hat and see that was that was me dropping my headphones and we're going to see who gets to pick their subject first and we're just going to kind of hang out and discuss what we want to discuss and if you want to join in you can join in on one of the subject matters we bring up or give us a call 347-838-9815 and give us your own subject give us something random you'd like to talk to us about you can check us out on facebook facebook.com slash the ken reedy show check us out on twitter at the ken reedy show our website, thekenreadyshow.com. B-plus Players Radio Network, if you're listening to this classic audio masterpiece pre-recorded, you're listening to it on B-plus Players. People are going to stop subscribing to B-plus Players after listening to this debacle. Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's all cross our fingers, sign of the cross, whatever religion you Believe in, and we're going to try and pull Dave up, my tag team partner from Connecticut. Dave, are you there? Am I here? <laughs> is it like, it's an existential thing. Is it like, I mean, I hear you. Who knows? I, you know, well, producer you Michelle me, is on really, it. That's really all that matters is that you hear me. Right. It could, it, this could wind up being just a fun conversation between the three of us. I have no idea whether it's actually going out to the masses or not, but at least like we seem to be in touch with each other now. So hopefully we can like make heads or tails and, and have a good time tonight. Also in studio, which is always fun when the studio is not working, that here's Rocky and I like sitting five feet from each other on our phones, dialing into the studio. Rocky, how are you doing today? Yes, we should. And let's let's try and have a good time tonight. So anyway, as I said, and, and football, you know, it sucked, Dave, because I was I was trying to be creative, teach me to be creative. But I was like, hey, why don't I do kind of a, a pick the order of subject matters on Facebook Live? Kind of kind of start tying in some more social media avenues to get the show more notoriety and get more more ears listening and all all the pre-show show on Facebook Live was me pissing and moaning and would have been pulling my hair out if I had any. So that was that was the classic our first foray into Facebook Live was me just like pissing and moaning about technology. So I'm sure people who went to our page who didn't know us before probably were like who's the old man that hates technology which was just a great look for us. But anyway, let's get into it. I have a hat here that I was going to, again, put on Facebook Live. So, Brock, you can see it's honorable. I have a hat. I'm shaking it up. And I'm going to pick out. So this is going to be the first subject matter of the evening. Again, none of us know what the other two wish to talk about tonight. And we are (laughs) – I picked me. All right. So, you know, all right, I'll pick me. I'll go first, and I'm going to pick two. Subject matter number two will be Dave. Dave, pick it up second, and then I'll pick a hat. And and Rocky in number three. So that will be the first three topics. If we have anything else we want to bring up, current, past, whatever, it will be all on the table after we each get one subject matter in in the books. So, you guys ready? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, good. You're so, I didn't hear you, Dave. I was like, oh, God, we lost Dave. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm still here. Right. I, I will say I'm having right. trouble here in Rocky. Right. What was that? I am having trouble here in Rocky. I will say that, just to give you a heads up. Okay. He said he's having a little Not trouble here in you, Rock. But anyway, we'll, 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 we'll try and make it work. All right. Here's something yeah. that I, I got to say, you know, was, was interesting to me. And it kind of – it's interesting that you brought this idea up, Dave, because I, I heard it this week – and I was like, kind of, it's, it's interesting. And I was kind of thinking to myself, how could I fit this in? And, and how would I present on, on talking about this? And, you know, and when you were like, hey, let's just bring up anything. I was like, here's something we can talk about. So I was listening to, give, give full credit, I was listening to, to Busted Open this week. And they were talking about whether Hulk Hogan should come back to the WWE or not. Should the WWE let him back in? And a caller called in. And said, I think he should – overwhelmingly, the callers were saying he should come back. Um, but one of the callers called in and said he should come back slowly. The WWE should bring him back slowly. And, and much like many fans, you know, like fans will say, you know, Seth Rollins needs to be in the main event. Okay, how would you do that? I don't know. So that was kind of like so, – so he said – bring him back slowly, and, and Bully Ray said, well, what does that mean? How do, how do you mean bring him back slowly? And he really didn't have much of an answer at that point. So it was like, you know, and I, and I, I found it like that exchange intriguing because, look, I mean, I think all of us on the show kind of confirmed Hulkamaniacs, um, and we'd all like to see him back in the, in the WWE. However, it would be naive to think, look, I'd pop if I turned on Raw tomorrow night and, and Voodoo Child starts playing and, and NWO Hogan, Hollywood Hogan starts walking down the aisle, you know, I'm going to pop. If I'm at WrestleMania and the original NWO comes back down again, I'm going to pop. So I get it that, that the Hulkamaniacs of the world, they can bring Hogan back any way they want. However, with the controversy, with the sensitivity in, in, in the world today, and, and what he said, and, and I think everyone's in agreement that what he said was awful. Uh, we don't condone what was said. I think a lot of us look at it as it was behind closed doors, and if a lot of us were judged by everything we said behind closed doors, a lot of us would get ourselves in trouble. Um, but what I kind of wanted to talk about, and I want to throw it out to you, and this is the subject matter I picked, was kind of what he said. Like, how do you bring him back slowly? How do you introduce him? Like, and or do you, do you guys think you bring him back quick? You just he surprised you one night, or or you know one night on Raw next week Hulk Hogan and just kind of bring him back and like rip that bandaid off, or or do you figure out a more strategic way to bring him back? And 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 I wanted to get your thoughts on how you would bring him back, and I also want to get your thoughts on on my thought is I would I kind of look at the Hogan thing as right now is really a very good time to look to bring Hogan back because of the upcoming documentary on Andre the Giant. And when that, that caller had no methodology on, quote, bringing him back slowly, my thought was, first off, start reintroducing his merchandise to WWE Shop. Maybe not all of it, but couple things here and there. And don't even make an announcement. Just, you know, randomly, you know, it'll, it'll start to grow like wildfire when people realize, oh, my God, there's, there's Hulkamania shirts on Shop Zone. 
Um, I would start there, but the thing that I, I would do then is because the Andre documentary is coming up, that I would do an original Andre, maybe not a documentary, but some sort of Andre special for the network. And I wouldn't have it centered around Hogan, but I'd bring Hogan in for a, a segment. I, and I would have Hogan come in and maybe talk about his relationship with Andre and then talk about WrestleMania three, and, and that's it. And then kind of do a market research on how did, how did fans react. Because, look, we're, we're the fans here that we want to see Hogan back, but let's face it, there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of wrestling fans that were highly offended what Hogan had said and perhaps aren't going to forgive him. And, and I know of people that were big Hogan fans that were, are black. And as far as Hogan saying what he said to them, it's unforgivable. And, and I understand that. And I understand um, where you come from, come with that point of view. And that's why when I heard that the idea of bringing him back slowly and when boys said, how, like, that's a really good question. How? And so my thought was throw some merchandise in, add him to like an Andre the Giant special on the network, see how it goes from there, and then maybe just bring him back for like maybe a couple house shows, maybe make him just an ambassador, like he does a couple of appearances for the WWE, and then down the road he shows up at a Raw or a pay-per-view or something and, and, and ease him back into the – the, the limelight or just being part of the WWE like that. So I would, that would be my methodology in some way, shape or form. So I'm curious. Um, I'll, throw, I'll throw it to you first, Dave. You know, I, I know we've talked about before and you'd like to see Hogan back. Do you think he should come back quote unquote slowly? Um, you think they should just rip the bandaid off and he just shows up one night. What are your thoughts on Hogan and, if you want him to return, how he should return? Well, being a tried and true Hulkamaniac, yes, I'd love for him to return. However, considering the day and age that we live in and the circumstances, circumstances surrounding his exit a couple of years ago, um, coming back slowly is the way to go. Um, however, I would kind of take a different approach as to what you had mentioned in your opening statement. I wouldn't put him on WWE television. I wouldn't put him in some kind of Andre the Giant documentary. As cool as that would be and as much as I'd like to see that, I I think putting him on television on the main shows like a Monday Night Raw or pay-per-view right out of the gate would be something where the Hogan detractors and the Hogan naysayers might look at that as um, like WWE kind of glorifying Hogan and not really acknowledging what he did um, to cause his termination from the company. So in my opinion, I introducing Hulk Hogan into the infrastructure of the company world wrestling entertainment itself is to not have him involved on camera at all. At first I would put him, I would make him an ambassador for the be a star rally campaign, the bullying campaigns that they do or the reading challenges or the make a wish, or even better yet, some of the, um, the, the the charities and the organizations regard, um, surrounding uh, you know the African American community. I would I would I would kind of test the waters that way and put Hogan in somewhat of an ambassador role. And in in the in the same sense as he's going through um, his time doing that kind of work, 
it's somewhat of like, I guess you could say an apology tour, so to speak, and see what kind of backlash or maybe not so much backlash that comes from that by him doing that sort of thing. And then maybe you could say, have him come out at WrestleMania this year as like a surprise to just hand the winner of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal the trophy. Don't let Hogan soak in all the adulation. Just have him come out. The place will get a big pop. He goes and, you know, shakes the guy's hand, whoever won the match at the top of the ramp. The trophy stand there. They get a picturesque, you know, moment. Hogan kind of fades into the back, and he lets that he, – he lets whoever won that match shine off of the spotlight and kind of give that Hogan rub to him. And then you could slowly ask, following that, you know, if you want to bring him into a pay-per-view or a Monday Night Raw or whatever the case is, I, I think – Putting him on TV right away, a lot of the Hogan naysayers would be like, well, you know, he hasn't apologized to me. So I feel like if he were to take some sort of ambassador role, going to these bullying rallies and these bullying campaign um, events and working with, you know, organizations and charities, you know, in regards to the African-American community first, I think it would be an easier transition getting him on television following the results of that. So you would like to get him back on television. You would rather see him present two-time Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal winner Mojo Riley with with the title at WrestleMania. No, absolutely not. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> that. Don't ever say that again. And I, I found out that that idiot <laughs> got he signed an extension to his contract. Who whoever put the pen to the, the ink to that paper and agreed to those terms. Is, is, is a moron and should be fired. But let's not get on that subject because that's not how I wanted this show to go tonight. Talk about that asshole. <laughs> like, if we really, like, if Rock and I really wanted to screw you, we should be like, oh, we both want to talk about Mojo Riley for 90 minutes. I quit. Anyway, Rock, your thoughts on bringing Hogan back. How would you do it? Should he come back even? What do you think? Well, I, I'm going to preface it with this because in this uh, in this regard, I kind of had a strong opinion after I actually did uh, listen to that particular episode of Busted Open. And one of the things that I learned that I was unaware of that some of the callers uh, made Dave and and uh, Bubba Ray aware of is on the network you can actually see Chris Benoit matches again. Like to to me, it, it blew me away. Like that, Chris Benoit was unerased for you know unerased from wrestling history back in the WWE, and you can see his all his matches and stuff. And like I'm like wow, a, a dude who murdered his family versus catching Hulk Hogan as, as everyone knows behind closed doors in a bad place in the, you know in a bad place. You know, I, I challenge anyone, and I will challenge any single person. I don't care skin color, uh, age, gender, whatever. If I follow you with a tape recorder, unbeknownst to you, for I, give me a half a day, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar I can make most of the human populace seem like freaking monsters. But I, but I digress. To, to answer the base question. Should Hulk Hogan be brought back? Yes, he should be brought back. To bring him back slowly, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, what he said was no big deal. Absolutely, it's a big deal. It hurt a lot of people, especially for someone the stature of Hulk Hogan who was at the time a hero 
in a lot of pairs of eyes. Uh, you, you'd have to do it very delicately. I, I personally, um, after hearing a lot of the uh, opinions that were thrown back and forth about it, I think you could even make it into a segment on, on a Raw or SmackDown, and when you just gather, and you, know, you could even make it for uh, you know Black History Month for, for for February, gather all of the all of the African American talent on the roster, and have Hogan stand in front of him and give his mea culpa, uh, you know, give the apology that apparently the the IWC is still is still clamoring for. And it's going to have to be an acceptance thing between, you know, the the African-American talent uh, on the show and, and Hogan. And they're going to have to accept them. And, well, no, that, let me rephrase. They're not going to have to accept them. They don't have to do anything. But uh, as far as how you go about it, I think in those type of gestures, and, again, it's something that has to be handled delicately because in this, you know, obviously in this day and age, God forbid it, you know, get, kill your family. Well, we can forgive you for that. Say a bad word. Oh, God, you're just an asshole. But I, I, you know, in my opinion, it's more than enough time. The man has done, has contributed so much to wrestling history and and the wrestling business. You, you can't keep him out forever. You just can't. It, 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 he's too synonymous with it. Uh, there are steps you have to take. You know, bring him back slowly. I almost think about those old, uh, yeah to parallel someone who was trying to get back in the good graces of the, of the general public and maybe comes off a little bit hokey. But if you think about Sergeant Slaughter, after his Iraqi sympathizer angle, he used to do those vignettes, you know, I want my country back. You know, obviously a, a lot more serious. This is a lot more serious tone. But maybe something akin to that where you have a vignette, you know, Hogan is giving his sincere and heartfelt apologies and maybe you build on that upon finally his uh, his reintroduction into uh, into a live event. That that's the way I think it would go. I mean, I, I do find the Hogan thing interesting because I think it's it's unique. Look, we, we we do live in a very in a hypersensitive age, and and um, you know, you make a mistake, you say something you shouldn't have said, uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Um, what's intriguing about the, the subculture of, of pro wrestling is most wrestling fans I've talked to forgive and want him back, which is interesting. Like, you look at Michael Richards. Like, Michael Richards dropped the N-bomb in the middle of a stand-up, and he was condemned, and he's essentially done. And you don't hear fans of Seinfeld saying, you know, we need, we need him back. You know, so... It's interesting, even a guy like, like Mel Gibson, you know, you don't see a lot of movie fans, like, clamoring to have Mel Gibson back. Uh, in, in, the, in the context of the wrestling world, most wrestling fans have forgiven him. It, it's a, and it's weird. I, I think maybe you kind of touched on it, Dave. The interesting thing about bringing Hogan back is not so much how wrestling fans are going to react to it, but how the mainstream media is going to cover it. Um, you know, I mean, you can almost see – news programs jumping on it, and the minute he walks through the door, you know, wrestling fans forgive him, the WWE forgive him, you know, Booker T and the New Day come out and say, you know, behind closed doors, Hogan addressed the locker room, and we're good with him. Still going to have those news programs that are going to say, you know, disgraced wrestler who used a racial slur in a tape two years ago was let back into the WWE with open arms, you know, 
there's always how the mainstream media is gonna gonna portray it and how the wrestling world is gonna portray it. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of, like none of us here said though he shouldn't be back. And I think for the three of us, we're all in agreement, as I think most wrestling fans are, that he should be back. He should be back in the fold. And honestly, I think Dave, to your point, like even if he comes back on TV, like I don't see Hogan having a major role in the WWE. To me, Hogan comes back if you give him a WrestleMania moment, if you give him a moment just to come out, like you said, give the, the Andre the Giant uh, Memorial Battle Royal trophy, um, have him do something, have him do – but then, yeah, he should come back and, and have an ambassador's role and, and you know, be, be that, that guy that, that um, you know, maintains goodwill. And you know what? You know, having made the mistake – you know, I think at the WWE, with all the charitable events they, they do, you know, Hogan is a guy that could do, that can go to a lot of schools and do a lot of good saying, I made a mistake. I was in a bad place. I held a gun to my temple when I was going through, you know, what I was going through. I, and, and how, you know, depression and, and, and mental health are, are so important to, be aware of and maintain and, 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 and kind of be aware of like, you know, steps you need to take if you're going down a dark path. I, I, I think you could use Hogan in such a way to kind of be like, hey, yeah, I made a mistake. I made a very public mistake. Y'all saw it on TV. And, and now I'm going to talk about the mistake I made. And, you know, I think it's something that he could be used uh, if it's done properly, but Interesting take for for all of us. It is a cool subject matter to discuss. We want to see Hogan back. Three four seven eight three nine eight one five. No guarantee we'll get you on because who knows if these phones are going to keep working. But call us if you'd like. If you have a subject you'd like to talk about, bring in the random subject. If uh, you want to weigh in on how Hogan comes back, that's cool too. We're going to go to our break in a minute. After the break, Dave is going to talk about who the f knows. But right now. It's time for the day five, 50, 50 news report. Thank you very much, Ken, Rocky. Good evening. And welcome to another riveting edition of the day five, 50, 50 news report this week. Only heard right here each and every week at the Ken Reedy show, the best in pro wrestling talk. This report is brought to you in part by B plus players radio, your one-stop shop for your pro wrestling podcast needs. Search like, and or follow us on Facebook and Twitter to be a part of the groundbreaking movement in the pro wrestling podcast game today. And the man who supplies you all with your fix at B plus is the man who is an automobile insurance company's nightmare. The man who records his Instagram stories while driving Mr. Mark Adam Haggerty, the host of the flagship podcast of B plus players radio, the outsider's edge, which you should check out. Don't wait any longer. Subscribe to B plus player radio right now. Without further ado, here's this week's top stories. The launch of the 205 Live brand on the WWE Network has seen its fair share of pitfalls along the way. And after the firing of Enzo Amore stemming from sexual assault allegations, the brand's future was up in the air. That is until recently. PW Insider reports that WWE Chairman Vince McMahon is no longer in charge of producing the Cruiserweight program on the WWE Network. Instead, son-in-law and chief operating officer Triple H is now overseeing operations of the show going forward. Many have speculated that with Triple H taking over 205 Live, that this is the beginning of him gaining more control within WWE. 
than Vince McMahon, who many believe will be preoccupied with the launch of the XFL, according to several reports. The change was made beginning with the arrival of former TNA star Rockstar Spud, who now goes by Drake Maverick as the 205 Live general manager. The Cruiserweight tournament that will culminate at WrestleMania later this year was also another element to the beginning of rebranding the 205 Live show, as Triple H's vision of the brand is similar to how the Cruiserweights were presented at the Cruiserweight Classic tournament on the WWE Network, showcasing highly athletic performers with fast-paced entering action as the primary focus this time around. Chairman Vince McMahon was hands-on with trying to help the 205 Live performers in developing characters the audience can identify with. This idea has now taken a backseat to Triple H's vision for the foreseeable future. The inclusion of NXT stars Roderick Strong and UK stars Tyler Bate and Mark Andrews to the brand is also another move made by Triple H. It's speculated that more NXT stars could be called to the main roster to help fill out the 205 Live crew, which will include Johnny Gargano at some point down the line. With three weeks of changes to the program, viewership has gone up slightly, which can be seen as a positive but a steady rise in viewership will be the key to the success and the future of 205 Live. In regards to the brand becoming a separate touring entity, that idea has been put on hold for the time being until the brand is at a good place internally. News broke recently that the great war with Anthem Media and the Hardys has finally ended. Matt Hardy now owns all trademarks of his broken universe. The trademarks were officially transferred at the end of last month. Sports Illustrated's Justin Barrasso revealed more details as to how this all unfolded. The main reason behind Anthem handing over the rights to the trademarks had to do with money. The organization didn't want a legal battle on their hands, and allegedly there was speculation that the Hardys planned to sue Pop TV, something Anthem wasn't willing to take a chance at allowing to occur. There was speculation that Anthem would potentially have to pay the family for the usage of Matt and Rebby's son, Maxel, as well as Rebby's father, Senor Benjamin due to the company not compensating them nor having them sign release forms before being filmed. Barrasso also states that Anthem's Ed Nordholm took bad business advice from Jeff Jarrett, who was the individual that was opposed to the characters Hardy was portraying from the beginning, which then resulted in Hardy's departure to WWE last year. Sports Illustrated suggests that we won't see Matt's broken character come to life in WWE, as he is currently woken. WWE likes to own the trademarks for all their performers. He still has creative license and freedom to his Woken character per order of WWE Chairman Vince McMahon. It's interesting to make mention of that, according to PW Insider, because Impact Wrestling has now licensed footage to WWE of both Matt and Jeff portraying their Broken characters from their time at Impact Wrestling. A WWE 24 special on the Hardys is slated to come out on the WWE Network at some point, and that may be the reason for all of this. PW Insider reports. We talked about it just, you know, in, in your in your story, Ken, with Hulk Hogan. They're reporting that there's talk within WWE of the company putting stronger emphasis on WWE television of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal heading into WrestleMania this year, as the HBO documentary chronicling Andre premieres on the Tuesday following WrestleMania, which will be April the 10th. The talk within the company is that if the documentary gets a good rating, then this could open the door for future collaborations with HBO and director Bill Simmons, who is also a huge fan of WWE and pro wrestling in general. Cesaro, Big Show, Baron Corbin, and Mojo fucking Raleigh have all won the Battle Royal since it became a staple of the WrestleMania card in 2014 at WrestleMania 30. Whomever 
is slated to win the Battle Royal this year at WrestleMania, is potentially in line for a strong push on WWE television, coinciding with the release of the documentary. However, on the other side of that, the UK Sun has speculated that 2018 WWE Hall of Fame inductee Goldberg is rumored to win the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, but those rumors cannot be confirmed at this time. Speaking of rumors, several wrestling media outlets reported that WWE is looking to change the infrastructure to their pay-per-view model beginning in May with Backlash. An email from Ticketmaster to fans announced that the upcoming Backlash event will be a dual-branded pay-per-view with talents from both Raw and SmackDown appearing. Following that news, Meltzer and The Observer then reported that all WWE pay-per-views will be dual-branded events going forward. The alleged reason behind this would be due to slow ticket sales and repetitive matchups. At the time, news broke WWE hadn't confirmed the rumors until yesterday when announcing the dual-brand pay-per-view format following WrestleMania 34. Another part of this story that I found interesting was the idea that the Backlash event would be headlined by the WWE Draft as a way to jumpstart dual-branded events for the pay-per-view schedule. By no means does this mean that the brand extension is ending anytime soon, as house shows and TV tapings will continue to be brand-exclusive. With the announcement of dual-branded pay-per-view events, TV tapings will feature championship matches on a more frequent basis, as pay-per-views wouldn't be able to fit in a title match for every title on each brand on any given pay-per-view. This new strategy is also the result of non-Big 4 pay-per-view events now extending to four hours in order to fit a fair amount of talent on the card and even out the amount of talent that will be on the pay-per-view from each brand. Some matches may be a bit shorter as a result of this, but that's the idea behind it. The downfall of this alleged pay-per-view format change will also mean that most of the lower to mid-card talents will not be seen, like Mojo Raleigh, because he fucking sucks. One way or another, beefing up pay-per-view events in a co-branded fashion will be used to help boost ticket sales and potential network subscriptions, which is the primary focus for WWE at this time. As of right now, WWE officials have yet to officially inform the talent of the schedule change in pay-per-view events. And in my final story this week, a two-for-one here, as I start off this story with Ring of Honor. The company reached a major milestone recently when the company announced that their Supercard of Honor event in New Orleans the night before WrestleMania 34 has sold just around 4,000 tickets, a Ring of Honor attendance record for any event in the company's history. This show will be headlined by the Bullet Club Implosion as Cody Rhodes will be facing off against the cleaner, Kenny Omega. In part two of this story, it was announced that New Japan Pro Wrestling will return stateside to Long Beach, California on March 25th, 2018 for their second show in the United States titled Strong Style Evolved. It was confirmed in a press release that WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross and broadcast partner Josh Barnett will be calling the action live that evening on AXS television. As of now, the only match to have been made official is Jushin Thunder Liger facing off against Rey Mysterio, who will be making his New Japan Pro Wrestling debut. Both men met in a singles match at WCW Starcade in 1996, over 20 years ago. We should also expect some kind of interaction between Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes in anticipation for their Super Card of Honor match during WrestleMania weekend, as well as an IWGP United States title defense by champion Switchblade Jay White. There you have it, folks. Thanks for checking out an all-new Day 550-50 News Report. Check back here next week for more informative tidbits to whet your professional wrestling gossip palettes. We have more of this Russian roulette, anything-goes, no-holds-barred edition of the Ken Reedy Show. So let's send it back to Rocky and Ken. Take it away. 
Good stuff as always, Dave. Yeah, this is, I, I, I'm kind of digging this format. It's funny because when I put when I decided to entitle the show "No Holds Barred," I, I thought like, oh, people are going to think we're just going to dissect the movie "No Holds Barred." That's No Holds Barred. Um, which maybe we'll do that down the road a piece. Classic movie. Anyway, let's get back into No Holds Barred, Russian Roulette, as you said, Dave. And wait, Dave, you are up, so whatever you want to talk about, the floor is yours, my friend. Take it away. Well, going into tonight's show, I had a couple of thoughts in mind as to what I wanted to discuss, what I felt um, would be thought-provoking and intriguing for not just myself and our listeners, but for the both of you as well, being, you know, old-school wrestling fans. So, usually if some of you out there listen to the show that know me on Facebook or follow the Ken Reedy Show Facebook page, you'll, you'll see that I like to advertise our show with pictures, and normally in the pictures I will incorporate what we may talk about on the show, what we plan on talking about for pay-per-view events. I Photoshop our, our, our heads onto, you know, the bodies of wrestlers and from pay-per-view posters to kind of incorporate what we're discussing. Well, if you looked at today's uh, post on the Ken Reedy Show Facebook page or on the Save American Wrestling Facebook page or even the B-Plus Players Radio Facebook page, you'd notice that I put, like, three random different pictures that I put out on, on, our, on, on, the, on the post with the Ken Reedy Show logo attached to it. And one of them was a picture that I found randomly on a random wrestling uh, chat group site on Facebook of a wrestling ring in the middle of open water in the ocean with like a few guys in it. And it brought back, when I looked at that picture, I don't know where it came from. When I saw it on the page, it was just a, uh, a picture and people commented on, on it and just random stuff was discussed. I found this like a few months ago and I kept it because I thought it was interesting. But what it reminded me of was, my, I wouldn't say love, but my, my interest in, my strong interest in wrestling shows held in large stadiums and like outdoor events, um, which takes me back to like, you know, you can go far as back, go far, far back to like the days of world-class championship wrestling when they wrestled in Texas stadium, when Kerry Von Erich beat Ric Flair for the NWA world heavyweight title at the David Von Erich Memorial show. Cause his brother had passed away not too not, not too long before that and watching that event and seeing how big it was at that time it, it set a, uh, an attendance record at texas stadium um for a wrestling event with like over forty thousand people there and just seeing the atmosphere the lighting um the the just the overall presentation of it and and it I, I, I'm just a big fan of seeing wrestling events and matches held in large stadiums and like, especially outdoors. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm, I, I, I love WrestleMania so much when it comes every, you know, every year, because I like to see what the stadium's going to look like. And especially if it's outdoors, going to look on television with the pyro and the set, like what they did at last year's WrestleMania, turning that whole set into like a huge roller coaster. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like in person because you both were there. I'm sure you could describe it for me, but like watching it on TV, it was just absolutely amazing to watch. Um, but some of the, some of the more underrated outdoor um, wrestling events that I've watched in, in uh, you know, over the years, um, there was an edition of WCW Saturday night. It was 1995 uh, in uh, Memorial day weekend. And, 
they were um, they set up a ring in the middle of downtown Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was Eric Bischoff and Dusty Rhodes hosting the event, and they did some sort of number one contenders uh, television title tournament, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf ended up winning it, and um, uh, it was pouring rain outside. And I just remember it's like raining buckets, and Bischoff and Dusty are trying to do the commentary, and they are soaked. There's not a tent over the ring. Guys are slipping and falling and sliding around. And I just remember, like, as a kid, like, just finding this to be very weird. But, like, at the same time, I thought it was cool. Um, which then, like, brings me to, like, um, the WCW held their Bash at the Beach event once, literally on the beach in Huntington Beach, California, um, which just so happens that was the same event that Paul Ondorf ended up getting his world television title shot that he won at that that, that rainy WCW show a few months prior. Um, you know, WrestleManias we've all been to outdoors, and we'll more when we do our big WrestleMania throwback shows in the coming weeks. But um, I remember my first outdoor wrestling show was WrestleMania 24 in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, and I was just, like, mesmerized at, like, how the whole stadium looked. Um, I think there were a few matches I didn't really pay attention to because I would just look around and – the, the, the mass of people and the way that they have the set designed and the lights and the, they had the palm trees, like, you know, all the way up in the, the top of the rafters, how they set, set the whole thing up from a production standpoint. I was just truly amazed. But I've always been a big fan of just outdoor wrestling shows, and I feel it, it, it adds a different layer, different dimension and presentation to the show, makes it a bigger feel. That's why I love WrestleMania 31 from Levi's, California. That's the one WrestleMania I regret not going to because it had that, that – the whole show went from daytime to nighttime. It had that Super Bowl feel. Like, the game starts when it's light, and then, like, when you got to the main event with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, that to me felt like, you know, the fourth quarter where it was like it was all coming down to this, and the, 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 the sky began to, you know, get darker and darker as the, as the match went on, and then eventually it was – full-blown night by the end of the show and the pyro like to me I just I find it very interesting I love it and I don't know if there are any like outdoor wrestling shows that any of you guys have been fond of over the years but for me like when they announce a Wrestlemania is coming to a city like okay it's gonna look cool in, in an indoor dome but I think like going outdoor if weather's permitting is like all the way like it's it's the best thing for me as far as watching it on television or even being there live. And that's why I look forward to seeing the rumble, which is going to take place at the Diamondbacks, Arizona Diamondbacks stadium next year. And that's got a retractable roof. I'm looking forward to seeing how they present that show because they don't normally run baseball stadiums. They all run football stadiums. So I'm, I'm really like excited to see how that's going to look, but are there any, any, or excuse me, I'm like tongue tied here. Are there any outdoor stadium shows that you guys have been fond of or found interesting or that you just that, that 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 bring you back, so to speak. It's 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 a, it's a really good subject matter to to tackle because I, I I agree with you. I think it's something that it gives wrestling a different feel, a different look. Um, one that always like struck me going going back old school was uh, Shea Stadium. Uh, you know, as far as I became a wrestling fan in the eighties and and going back to like you know Hogan, Andre, and and Bruno and Zabisco on that card and just, just the, the different feel and the different look of it. Um, you know, it's so old school. It's funny, as you were talking about outside and different looks, it actually uh, brought me to, and, and Rock, you could attest to this, that uh, both Rocky and myself were on an outdoor show once where 
they put the ring, talking about unique places, they put the ring in the middle of, of Mount Vernon in this, like, street fair. And uh, so no no PA, no entrance music, no nothing. So we had to basically, our our trailer to change in was, like, a couple blocks up from the ring, and you had to put your, your gimmicks on and everything, get set to go, and then you walked through the general public down to the ring. And it was just kind of this weird kind of, hey, you know, there's there's vendors, there's there's food, there's music, there's dancing, and then there's just this wrestling ring in the middle of the street there. So when you talk about unique, like that actually struck me where, you know, I, I, I it was weird. It was weird to me. It was, it was just like definitely a unique, odd experience. Um, but, you know, one of the things I'll tell you, Dave, um, being at the events, Levi was awesome. As a 49er fan, a little biased being in that stadium. Um, it was a great show. Good ebb and flow to it. Um, it was hot as hell in that stadium, but um, that was great. But I'll tell you, last year, nothing compared to what that set looks like. And I, and I could uh, you know, talk about a lot of outdoor events. In fact, as you talk about ones that struck you, I mean, we, we had a show dedicated once uh, – you know, Hog Wild and the Road Wild shows, like, I always loved the look of that and the motorcycle surrounding the ring. I always thought that, like, had a really unique feel to it. But, you know, to, to relay feelings of last year's WrestleMania, um, for myself, Rocky, producer Michelle, um, you know, we had gone to WrestleManias. Uh, we had gotten involved in wrestling. Uh, we, you know, went to school. We were doing wrestling shows. And, uh, uh you know, and even doing this show, you get to a point where you, you just you just get too critical uh, watching wrestling. And I know we do the show, and you kind of have to be, and I get that. But last year going to Mania, all of us beforehand just kind of said, we're, we're being marks tonight. Like, we're going to enjoy this show as fans. And if we don't like something, we're not going to like it as fans. We're not going to sit there and talk about how this was booked or how this one, we're really just going to buy in. We're going to, we're going to cheer the faces. We're going to boo the heels and we're just going to be wrestling fans and try to get swept up in the, the pomp and circumstance that is wrestling. And I got to say, like, you know, we are who we are. We're human beings. We're multifaceted. You know, we have our, our personalities and it's easy to say that. And sometimes, you know, your personality, your critical nature just kind of takes over and I got to say, like, having that conversation beforehand and then walking into that stadium and seeing the entranceway and seeing the roller coaster and, to me, by far the greatest entrance I've ever seen, it just immediately brought me back to being a kid. And, and it was really easy to kind of, after we decided we're just going to mark out, to kind of walk in, you see that, you just kind of had that feel of, like, we're going to have fun tonight. We're just going to have fun tonight. And uh, it really was just, I was awestruck. I really was awestruck by the set. So, um, yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, like outdoor shows definitely give you, like, a unique look. There's a lot of different ones. You know, and, again, it's like the outdoor shows are unique unto themselves. Just being outside is unique. But then each one has a unique feel depending on whether it's, you know, in the middle of a street fair <laughs> or at, at, a, at a motorcycle rally, or in the middle of a lake, wherever you found that picture. But you know, outdoor venues definitely give a really unique feel. Good subject. What are your thoughts, Rocky, on uh, – I mean, do you have a favorite outdoor venue, or your thoughts on WrestleMania last year, your thoughts on outdoor wrestling in general? 
Well, yeah, I think it's undeniable that it changes the feel of the whole event. Um, being that the two WrestleManias I've been to were in Orlando at the Outdoor Stadium and then in Dallas, uh, and that and taking nothing away from from the stadium in Dallas because that stadium was absolutely huge and it was great. But when you look at outdoor wrestling events, I got to go with Dave on this one. It's more of an exciting feel. It it almost harkens back to the old. You look at those old pictures of big fights that were outdoors, kind of like when Ali, you know, boxing matches, Ali, you know, Thriller Manila, outdoor, like those outdoor matches, uh, they definitely add a, a, an air of big fight feel to them. And to your point, Ken, the, the set uh, of WrestleMania last year was spectacular. That was one of the most impressive sets I've seen. And just the rant, you know, I, I took one look at that ramp, and I'm like, dear Lord, if I had to run down that ramp, I, I'd be done. I'd be like, okay, pin me. Uh, I'm gone. I can't, I can't move an inch. But, uh, and it does. As a, as a worker, it, it's, it's a different feel, too, because I remember, the, I remember the show you were talking about, Ken, and, you know, things that stick out of my mind in that show, like you said, you're walking down the street, everyone's just, like, looking at you, and you, you didn't have an, a, an entranceway per se, but people kind of – made a hole and then you had kids, you know, either following you in or following you out. And at, at the time I was not such a nice person. So I had the gaggle of children who were uh, not so nice to me uh, on my entrance and my, and my exit. But, you know, it did add to that feel like everyone wanted to see me get trounced. And, and when I took my lumps, everyone was happy about it. But, it was a definite, a, a definite different feeling being out in the open air, and have, you know maybe it's that vo- you know the acoustics, maybe it's voices carry uh, differently, and you would think you would think it would be louder inside a venue, but I actually found you know thinking back to that thinking back to that event, I found it was louder in the outdoor venue as people just going, uh, maybe that takes uh, uh, people's inhibitions away. They want to be loud. They want to be heard. It just cause them to go nuts. Uh, so if I had to make a choice between an indoor and an outdoor venue, you know, as long as, as long as the weather cooperates, you know, heck, even if the weather doesn't cooperate, because I've been to a couple of outdoor games where like, uh, I can think of a couple of Yankee games in particular where all of a sudden the sky just opened up and it was pouring. And sure, I, you know, at some point they got to stop the game, but just to watch the whole stadium when it's pouring and it's an experience. It, it adds to the experience. And I'm definitely more of a fan of outdoor events than indoor events. Now, looking at the uh, looking at the picture that Dave uh, uh, brought up with the wrestling ring in the middle of middle of the whatever that was ocean lake whatever i thought that was hilarious um you know i i can only imagine you know even these days with people who do all their flippy do's and are willing to do that stuff on concrete i can only imagine the nuttiness that people were willing to do out into the water you know but uh, would i sign on for for a, a wrestling gig you know floating in the middle of a lake i don't know about that but it definitely adds an interesting dynamic uh, to to a wrestling match or heck any match, and it's just is where it's at in my opinion. I agree. I think it just gives it gives a real unique look to, to things, and you know it's funny you said that that um, 
you know, the event was louder. And I kind of like, I, I, I kind of agree with you. And, and maybe it's just a dynamic of, you know, when you go inside an event, like you just kind of, it's a theater. It's not that, not that wrestling fans are like theater goers by any stretch of the imagination. But you know that it's like you're kind of going into a performance, whereas you know when we wrestled at that street fair, it's a street fair, so everyone's kind of amped, kind of up, and they're all you know there's no chairs, so people are on their feet automatically. That it kind of loaned itself to kind of fans being more fanatic. Um, but it definitely you know with the sun beating down on you as a performer, it's a different vibe, um, it's a different feel for fans, and you know I think like anything, like any sort of entertainment venue, um, anything that's you can take what is the norm and kind of do it differently um, is definitely a great way to go. And even like when, you know, everyone looks at different things, the WWE could like take from WCW, uh, you know, you hear at war games, you know, you got to do war games. Like I would love to see that. Even if they do it once, like do some sort of like road wild, hog wild event where they, they, you know, even if it's not a pay-per-view, if they do like a special event, you know, it's a, but like at the, the Sturgis motorcycle rally and just, you know, I mean, I just, I always thought that was so cool with like, you know, you didn't hear applause, you heard revving of engines. Like it was just so cool. Like the, the whole vibe of, of the show is just so unique and so different. Um, you know, I would love to see something like that again, but who knows? Dave, love it. Definitely something I, I if I racked my brain out of, out of subjects you could have come up with, because in all honesty, I, I was a little scared. I was a little nervous with you, the uh, resident. <laughs> I was like the resident historian that has like the, the literally a mind like a steel trap where I honestly was, I was waiting for you to come on and, and be like, you know, that there's a February raw in 1993 <laughs> where, you know, the third match booked was blah, blah, blah. Did you like the way the show was booked? And I'd be like, shit, <laughs> me thumbing on I'm the computer, like fun. find that raw, find that raw. I'm not. I'm not that good. I, I, I mean, I used to be good. <laughs> no, seriously. Like when I was younger, I could say, I could name like the, the, the tag team champions, like in the last like seven or eight years at one point. And then the WWE had to go ahead and have the fucking brand extension and had two champions. And then I couldn't remember like who was the champion yesterday. So like I, I my mind, it used to be good. I remember certain moments, but I'll have to go back and like, honestly, I'm not bullshitting. You know, I'll have to go back and, remember and then like research the dates like i i googled today what was the date of the wcw show that was held in the pouring rain like and and then like i had to like search like three or four links to eventually find it It was in may 27th 1995 but i couldn't tell you that i just remember certain (laughs) moments thank god for the google machine yeah anyway good stuff though again unique way to look at wrestling rock we're throwing it over to you we've talked about the return of hulk hogan Wrestling events outside, and there's no holds barred, false count anywhere, whatever. So Russian roulette, what do you got for us, Rock? Well, I'm going to throw out a subject uh, a little bit deep that actually you and I have had uh, some conversations of before, but it's something that does intrigue me, and it has to do with our ever-loved IWC. Don't you just love those guys? Don't, Don't you just want to embrace them? And here we go. <laughs> yes. And my my subject being when, and I'll throw it out there kind of as a question, when do you think, when do you guys think the polarization of the IWC happened? 
And what I mean by this is because I look back in my wrestling fandom. Uh, like you guys, I grew up a Hulk Hogan fan. Uh, I had a best friend, one of my best friends, who was a Macho Man fan. And sure, you know, we cheered our guys on, you know, and this was when he was a good guy, bad guy, what have you. He was a, he was a avowed Macho Man fan. But it seems to me wrestling fandom, at least in this day and age, is so different from back then because it seems to me back then, and I would say, you know, the 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 line is muddled, which is why I'm, I'm going to ask you guys' opinion. Back then, you could be a wrestling fan. You could like your guys, but overall, you were a wrestling fan. It, it was all, you know, the, the guy who didn't like Hulk Hogan wasn't necessarily wrong. He was like, ah, no, nah, I like Hulk Hogan. You like Macho Man? Okay, well, you like Macho Man. I like Hogan. But it seems in this day and age, it's almost like to the IWC, if you don't like Shinsuke Nakamura, well, then obviously you don't know wrestling. Or if you don't like Finn Balor, you know, you have no clue what wrestling was. There was a question that was posted uh, recently on uh, online, and it was a, a choice of, what would you see? What would you rather like to see? And I think it was AJ. And this is this. Keeping in mind, this is all people in their prime. AJ versus Shawn Michaels, Taker versus Sting, or Brock versus Bobby Lashley. And actually, I'm going to take away the the part where they're in their prime. They didn't. You know, some people made that assumption. I didn't make that assumption. You know, my choice. Uh, you know, it was uh, Brock versus Lashley like two monsters that can go in the ring. And maybe that's my old school mentality because, again, back then it was all about the Giants. Uh, WWE was laying to the Giants and watching them go at it. And what, one person called me out like, you obviously have no clue what wrestling is. I'm like, dude, I'm twice your age. <laughs> I, mean, I was watching it before you were a gleam in your dad's eye. So I, I, I'm curious as to what you guys think. When do you think was that polarizing, that date, when fans became so freaking polarized that, you know, liking someone else is just akin to you obviously have no clue what the hell you're talking about. You don't know wrestling. It, it's a, that, that's a really good question. And it's funny because, like, going to, um, for me at least, you know, looking at my wrestling fandom, and, and yeah, to your point, man, I mean, I, I've been – geez, I've been watching this shit way too long. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's insane, like, how, you know – you know, still watching wrestling. Cause it's, you know, I, I think it's interesting in life in general. Like there's, there's so few things that you can like, like look at elementary school and just be like, yeah, but I'm still into that. You know, you look back on things and like, Oh, I watched this. I did, you know, but I, you know, I grew up, you know, like for, for me, it's like, really it's like Batman and wrestling that I can like trace back to like my childhood that, that I'm still into. And, and you're right. You know, when, you know, breaking kayfabe, but, you know, producer Michelle also happens to be my girlfriend. Or nowadays, I guess I'm supposed to say partner, but however, she, she's, she's my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> a little tidbit there. We're, we're breaking the fourth wall. Um, but, you know, she – it was really cool how she became a wrestling fan. Like, we were hanging out, and she basically had that typical, uh, you know – female kind of oh my god you watch wrestling um and it was like yep this way she was done you know and um you know i said to her i was like just just give it a chance and i'll explain like everything you know you know get and and if you hate it 
I'll never ask you to watch it again. It'll just be something, you know, I'll, I'll hang it with my guy friends and we'll watch wrestling and, and I I'll, I'll, won't sub, subject you to it anymore. And, you know, watching Raw, it was, it, she happened to watch the, the episode when, um, I think it was Raw, uh, when, when Triple H, Batista had won the Rumble and was deciding which champion to go after, and he decides he's going to go after Triple H. And, you know, the show ended, and then she's like, now what? What? What happens? Like, you've got to watch next week. And, and she was kind of hooked, and that's how she, kind of, that's how she became a fan. And, and at that time, it's very intriguing because, like, the, the span, like, at that point, uh, when WrestleMania 25 came up and I, I said to Michelle, you know, oh, my God, it's the 25th WrestleMania. She was the one that said, we have to go. And I was like, well, I'm right. <laughs> like, and, and so she was really the one that kind of pushed, like, we have to go to 25. And and the funniest thing, we, we centered her, and we're, we're going to talk about going in, in long form, if you will, uh, in another show, but we road tripped to, to Mania. It was, it was a great trip, and when we drove into to that hotel room, well, drove, we drove into the hotel room. We drove into the hotel parking lot, and I was just like, all right, let me go in and check us in or whatever. And, and I walk in the hotel lobby, and people are walking around with championship belts. They're dressed like wrestlers. Um, the bar is filled with wrestling fans. And I came running out to the car, and I, Michelle opened the window. I said, Michelle, we're home. And she's like, what? I said, you have no idea what it's like inside there. And for like, for me being, I mean, I, I went to WrestleMania 10, but I'd never been around like WrestleMania, what it, it had become. I'd never done the travel package. So, um, and as we saw even WrestleMania 29, the New York area kind of absorbed WrestleMania anyway. So I had never seen that sort of like pomp and circumstance before. And, and it was kind of that, it, there was a lot of camaraderie uh, going to 25 and, um, it was like, even if you disagree, but we were all wrestling fans. It was like us against the world. So, you know, you you might hate Cena. I like Cena. But that's cool because the rest of the world sucks because they don't get wrestling. And that's that's kind of how the vibe was. It was almost like we're one big, stupid, dysfunctional family um, that we could disagree, but we all kind of respected each other as fans. And, and the, the one moment that, that stuck out, for me that weekend was like the debate at, you know, it's WrestleMania 25 Taker versus Michaels. And we get back to the hotel. And, and if you could picture like Houston shut down for the weekend outside of WrestleMania, no bars open, no restaurants open, no nothing opened after mania. So anyone who was staying in Houston was at the hotel. All of mania went back to the hotel. You know, there's a busted open wasn't running at the time, so it wasn't like go see but nothing. So everyone went so the, the hotel lobby was a madhouse. But everyone was riding this high. Like we were all kind of just happy about mania. And it wasn't the best mania, but we were all ecstatic about Taker Michaels. And I just remember there was this guy at the bar who is who is Scottish and he's literally draped in the Scottish flag. And and someone was like God, Taker Michaels. And we're all like fawning over Taker Michaels. And, and this guy's like, it, it's got to be one of, if not the best WrestleMania matches ever. And the Scottish guy, again, if you can imagine this little Scottish guy draped in the Scottish flag, is going, best match at WrestleMania. Fuck <laughs> you. That's the greatest match ever. And it was just like, but his FU was such a like, it wasn't like a pointed, like I hate, it was just kind of a, 
it was just a nice, fun, debating, like, atmosphere. And, and, and to me, it's really intriguing that, that I've, we've gone on these mania trips, like, this era, because I feel like I've seen the change over the years. That, to me, if I really look at it, and, and Dave, you might be able to, like, pinpoint it even further when you look at, like, the history. But when I look at it, I look at, like, when we went to 25, 26, 27 you know, maybe around 27, it was starting to shift a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, but the one thing that strikes me as, as like like it, like a definitive moment that I look at and I'm like, everything really kind of changed where like I started not liking wrestling fans was after 29 that Monday Night Raw the Fandango thing where I just was kind of like, this is like this is stupid. Like, why did you come to a wrestling event? to take over the, the night. Like I, I, and legit, like I'm a fan. I wanted to watch Raw. Sue me. I wanted to go to Raw and watch Raw. And I, and I feel like that Fandango moment coupled with, and, and no disrespect to him, but coupled with the yes movement where fans like, you know, don't think that the, you know, of course the WWE didn't script this and the WWE had no idea. Of course you actually did take over Raw. Yeah, of course you really occupied Raw. But I, I feel like at that point, the whole Daniel Bryan yes movement, that there was there was a huge section, uh, subculture of the subculture of wrestling fans that decided that their opinion matters more than the show, more than other people, and and the priority started to become taking over live events as opposed to going to the event and enjoying it. And, and for me, that was really when it when it really shifted into, like, the definitive IWC. And it's interesting because I, I feel like now when you go to Mania, Mania is still primarily, like, families, and you get a lot of – you get some of the, the IWC nonsense, but for the most part I feel like you um, you get families and you get a lot of that, cheer the bad guys, cheer the good guys, boo the bad guys. But the, the raw after mania is is borderline unbearable. Where where honestly fans go just to take over the night. Um, so I, I would say if I'm pegging it uh, around like WrestleMania 29 ish, uh, and really definitely once you got to to 30, that I think that the really is where the IWC started to take hold. I'm curious your thoughts, Dave. Um, I feel like, I mean, you you. I'll get to I'll get to your 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 Fandango Yes Movement part in a second. Um, I feel like where wrestling fans really became polarizing and really I wouldn't say took over the show, but were more part of the show was probably when Extreme Championship Wrestling was really making a mark on the mainstream wrestling level. Um, going back to 95, 96, because at that time, I mean, ECW fans were the, uh, they were the originators of the internet wrestling community. The internet wrestling community thinks that they're so defiant and they're so cool and that they, that, that they hijack shows and their opinion counts and yours doesn't when guys, let's be honest with you, you don't deserve to have an opinion. It's the way that you act at wrestling events, but ECW fans were doing that before there was even an internet. Okay, they were doing that before they went on their keyboards and 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 spouted off that you know Sabu and Terry Funk at Barbed Wire Massacre Two was the greatest wrestling match in the history of the business. 
I mean, they were they were doing that stuff before you guys were a gleam in your keyboard's eye. Let's face it, okay? Um, I feel like that, you know, Paul Heyman, you know, he he created not only with the talent, but with the audience, an us versus them kind of mentality and treated the mainstream companies like World Championship Wrestling and like the WWF as the establishment. And these guys were the underground, and they were trying to fight for their place in the wrestling landscape. And in in turn, they fought for their place, but they, at the same time, they created a niche, whether it was regional and then it became national. And in some ways you can look at it saying is that, you know, it, it reached out, you know, worldwide, but it didn't really get the chance to expand and, and move and grow because of the infrastructure of that company. I feel like ECW was the beginning of, the, the polarizing wrestling fans where the, the, those wrestling fans told you to go fuck off because you didn't like, you know, a, a 45-minute match where, you know, Shane Douglas and Spike Dudley beat the crap out of each other with frying pans and Constantine wire and tables. But the finish is, is that, you know, Douglas rolls up Spike Dudley for a schoolboy and hooks the tights for the victory after he just bludgeoned his opponent to death, but he couldn't beat him that way. He had to beat him when he rolled up the tights. Like, fuck you, don't insult my intelligence, all right? Like, I know it's horse shit. So I feel like it was that moment or that era and that time period where, like, wrestling fans became more vocal at the promotions and, it, and they became part of the show. Um, and in some ways you could say they took over the show, but that environment that ECW had, they thrived on that. They, they used that to their advantage to create something different and a different presentation to the wrestling audience, which essentially attracted a lot of mainstream pro wrestling fans that watched the establishment, so to speak, to go watch an ECW show. Um, you know, Ken, you made up, you made a great point. Like I, 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 I commend you for, Having to sit, I sat next to you at that WrestleMania after Raw in New Jersey, and you know you you were not a happy camper. And I found some of what they were doing was funny, but I at the same time I was like, this is getting quite annoying. I'm trying to watch this match, and there's 15,000 people that are chanting some nonsense that's got nothing to do with the show. I feel like the difference between the Fandango incident and the Yes movement is that with the Fandango thing they were doing that to piss people off because they weren't happy with the way that their WrestleMania transpired the night before on pay-per-view. And they were doing that as like a fuck you to not only just some fans, but to just the establishment, so to speak. Whereas in the yes movement, Daniel Bryan, hell of a wrestler, hell of a talent, super over with the audience. Didn't exactly get the breaks that a lot of wrestling fans deserved, And so therefore people were vocal about it. And, it, and, and in turn, it turned into a storyline, and it turned into a really good story of this underdog fighting the movement and fighting the establishment to get noticed, to, to, to be on the top of the mountain in WWE, and he has that moment. There's two differences. Like, I felt like the fans in that sense fought for Daniel Bryan so that he could get his just due, whereas the year before, they basically – cheered for Fandango as a fuck you to management because they didn't like what they saw. They could have given a shit that Fandango didn't get a push. Are they Fandangoing right now? No, they're not. Because they didn't give a shit about him then and they don't give a shit about him now. And that's how I feel about wrestling fans. I think it's grown 
since those days in ECW, and, and slowly but surely, and I think because of the the appeal, the worldwide appeal that WrestleMania has, and the social media age, and having so much information, whether it's true or not, at your fingertips, it has helped wrestling fans become more polarizing to where they think that they it's a God-given right for them to take over the show. Once again, internet wrestling community, you're going to hear it from my mouth, and it's going to matter because it just fucking matters, okay? Your opinion doesn't, all right? So shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to pose a question to both of you because as you were talking, I, I, I you know, started thinking about it. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, the one thing I always liked about pro wrestling is, like, I, I always felt like the crowd was supposed to be part of the show, but, like, know your role. Like, we, we were supposed to. Like, I always thought it was fun. Like, yes, we're supposed to cheer the good guys, boo the bad guys. Like, that's our part, like, like in, in the wrestling show. Like, if you're there live when someone's watching it on TV, that's, what they, that, that's a collective show there. Like, that's what we should be giving them. Um, but I want to ask you, you know, it's interesting what you said, cause I, and I totally see – you know, going back to the, the birth of this sort of fan base, going back to ECW. But the one thing you did say is, like, in ECW, the, the, the workers there, they thrived off that. Like, and, and it was almost like they used that to create what was ECW. And, you know, going into, like, the, the wrestling fan that, that wants to be anti-establishment, wants to be – wants to feel like they're thumbing their nose or – giving the finger to the establishment, you know, when you think about the attitude era, you know, that sort of dynamic, that sort of vibe was part of the actual characters. Like they were encouraging you to say, suck it. You know, they were going to give me a hell yeah. They, hell, they wanted you to throw up the middle finger, literally. So when you look at like that, that, that sort of vibe of, you know, maybe, you know, I'm looking at it as, you know, the, the seeds were planted many, many moons ago where I'm looking at it between WrestleMania 29 and 30, where I really see the IWC taking over. But is it something that is, – is this shift? Is this just societal and millennials are just, just get pissy when they don't get their own way and that's what's happening? Is that, is that the problem? Is, is the, or is the problem, in fact, that this, the seeds were planted in the 90s and – creative in, in, in the WWE or perhaps other companies are, are not using it the right way. Whereas the attitude era, you had a lot of people that, that kind of wanted to act like rebels and act like they were taking over the show. And you could like get behind, you know, the NWO I'm behind the NWO. They're anti-establishment. They hate WCW. So in getting behind them, whereas it, it's all work, um, you know, like cheering for stone cold, Dunning his boss was cheering for someone who's anti-establishment, but it's all a work. So I, I, I want to throw it out actually to both of you. Like, do we fault? Is it, is it millennials? Is it society? Is it creative dropping the ball or is it just a combination of everything? It's, it's a very good point you bring up, Ken, when, especially when you think of the, the, the planting of the seeds during the Attitude Era, because if you think back to the Attitude Era, you know, as you said, crowd participation was encouraged. One of, the, one of the things that made The Rock The Rock was when he said, you know, and the millions, and on cue, everyone else, and millions, you know, without little things like that, The Rock wouldn't be you know, what he was. And 
and you know Stone Cold got a what you know a what chant just one a single word what what so while I can agree with you that perhaps the seeds were planted uh, during the Attitude Era, it seems as if this you know to me you look to this current generation who has taken, you know, perhaps has taken that, that was their role. As you said, Ken, know your role. They've taken that role and they, well, I don't, you know, the millennial attitude, well, no, I'm more important than that. Yeah, it's my role and my role is is important. My role is more important than the guys who are actually doing this stupid match, you know, no, it isn't, you people, oh, God, the whole thing just infuriates me, and should the crowd be a part of it? Of course, the crowd is going to, it has to be a part of it, because the the wrestlers have to play to the crowd, you're looking for a reaction, but when you value your own reaction, when you value yourself over the performer, then you just ruin the whole thing, and I think, to your point, can I think that is a function of this modern-day entitlement attitude where I am most important and you're not. And sure, you may be doing the performing and you may be doing this so you get a reaction, but my reaction is really of most importance. That's where the import lies. And like, no, it isn't, you dummy. You already paid your ticket. Now, you, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Dave on this. You know, sometimes you just want to collectively slap people upside the head, and those people being the IWC. And I think also the IWC has kind of done themselves a disservice because I do think um, when it comes to the Raw after WrestleMania, I think the WWE is cautious with uh, what they want to have happen at that Raw because if, if they have a major storyline that they want to unfold coming out of WrestleMania, you could have an entire crowd shitting on it immediately, and you don't necessarily want your TV product and people watching it to to see like something being completely crapped all over uh, when it's going to be a significant storyline. So, like to me, the past couple of Raws, um, you know, entertaining, but the Raws after Mania have just been all right. Like, let's let the crowd take over. We'll allow it. John Cena will come out and say, "Lord, the energy here." And, Everyone, you know, the beach balls come out, and but let's not let any major storyline or, or, or program things happen at this Raw. Let's let the crowd get this crap out of their system. Then we'll move on to to the next city. But I'm curious, Dave, your thoughts. Is it is it is it creative? Do we blame? Is it millennials? A combination of both? Uh, why do you think we've gotten to this place right now in our society in in the wrestling society? Well, I'll check one off the list that I wouldn't blame, and I wouldn't blame the creative process um, with uh, WWE, combination of things. I think it is societal. Um, I, I, I do think, and, and here's why. I think because there is so much information that you can get at your fingertips and you can interact with, with the talent in so many ways now through social media and even in person. I mean, let's think about it here. You know, back then in the Attitude Era, you know, there was no such thing as Twitter or social media to begin with. And there was no way to interact with the performers as a fan. Maybe a random autograph session here and there, but there's more ways to meet wrestlers now than there ever been before, okay? And especially back then when kayfabe was, you know, strong and, you know, you, you, you still wanted the people to believe that, you know, you were that person that you were portraying on television. I mean, when you got the reaction 
or when you when the the talent would get a reaction that they got from the audience, like let's say DX, for instance, when the New Age Outlaws used to do their whole stick, and Road Dog would say his, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and the whole audience would recite it word for word to the point where he didn't have to say it anymore. Like that was the closest thing that an audience member had to interacting with a talent. Nowadays, you can go on fucking Twitter, and I don't have a Twitter, thank God, because otherwise I'd kill somebody. I'd be in jail, like for real. Like, because there's, there's, people, there's people on Facebook that I've almost committed assaults on for the things that they have to say just regarding wrestling, not, not you know, all the everyday bullshit we see out in our world. And, now you know, on Twitter nowadays, you can have a talent that posts something up on, on, on Twitter – and some asshole fan will just make some stupid comment and the, the, the entitlement that they're supposed to get a certain reaction from that person based off of their comment towards them replying to their tweet or whatever the case is. Cause like, like I said, I don't have Twitter. I don't know all about it, but like, and their entitlement behind it and then just causing such a visceral reaction from that person, you know? And, and, and I feel like that's what, having too much access to the talent and kayfabe basically, you know, it's not got one foot in the grave. It's pushing daisies in my opinion. Um, And having so much access to information, I think that's what hurts these after uh, WrestleMania Monday night Raws is social media and the society that we live in. And, you know, being able to get so much information, whether it's true or not, like I said earlier, you know, being able to have that at your fingertips and feeling this sense of, you know, all right, you know, you think you know what this storyline's supposed to be portrayed as or how this character's supposed to be played. So, therefore, when it's not done the way that you want it done live and in, and in person, when you're sitting in that arena, well, you feel this need to now, you know, make up some stupid chant that, that it's irrelevant to what the show's all about in order to get noticed because you didn't like the way the storyline was portrayed. You know what I mean? I feel like that's the, the, the nucleus of it. I also think, too, that the way that WWE is structured, because they are a corp, you know, they're, they're a corporation, they're a publicly traded company. Back then, you know, if they had Monday Night Raws the night after the Attitude Era, you know, in the Attitude Era, the night after WrestleMania, the way that they are now, holy cow, today's crowd would, like, totally eclipse what the, what the audience was in the Attitude Era the night after WrestleMania, especially with the talent and the characters that were portrayed, then forget about it. You couldn't get to a broadcast or a match, like, without having to deal with the audience just taking over. If you think it's bad now, take that audience, the night after WrestleMania, current, present day, and you put them in a setting like the Attitude Era, you, you, you would, you'd blow your brains out trying to watch the show because it would just be like, it would be so mind-numbing that you'd have to sit through such bullshit of, of bullshit chants and, 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 and taking over because something didn't go your way. Like, you'd want to kill yourself. You'd walk out probably the first 15 minutes of the show. So you've got to kind of look at the different eras and, you know, in the Attitude Era, thank God that didn't happen then. But there's differences, you know, like I said, having, you know, not having as much access to the talent then as you do now, um, you know, and of course, the, the, the entitlement of millennials. And I won't go too far into that because, you know, I'll end up wanting to kill a millennial tomorrow when I walk down the street. So, you know, <laughs> it is, you know it's an interesting point. And like, you know, I, I, I kind of look at, you know, recently when, when John Cena was, was wrestling Finn Balor on, on Raw and, 
you know, like, look, Finn Balor to me hasn't proved himself on, on the main roster. You know, ill-timed injury, I get it. But to me, he doesn't do much for me. I know he's an IWC darling, but that live crowd at Monday Night Raw, they're cheering, they're cheering for a beach ball. So, I mean, like, you want to tell, like, the IWC and, and probably the vast majority of those people cheering for the beach ball will want to tell me how great Finn Balor is and how Finn Balor deserves to be a main eventer, but you're more interested in paying attention to a beach ball than your guy, like your guy. So how yeah. do you take it seriously when you, when you have an opinion on certain guys? Like if, if you're really that, that focused on Finn Balor, you should be cheering Finn Balor. You should be chanting Balor's name. But instead you're chanting at the security guard who just took the beach ball away from somebody. I, I mean, it, it's just, it's asinine sometimes when you look at how these, these crowds react to certain things. And I'm sure it's the same crowd that like, if you told them, you know, Finn Balor has been future endeavored, they'd like, they'd want to riot, but you're not paying attention to them. So what does that tell the, the, the crowd that should be enthralled by Finn Balor is paying attention to a beach ball. What do you think you just told management? I mean, if I'm watching that, I'm like, Finn Balor's not a main eventer. He's just not. Look, look at how that crowd, John Cena, one of the best of all time, against their guy, Finn Balor, and the crowd is into a beach ball. So, I mean, sometimes I think that the, the IWC does themselves a disservice with how they act at, at live events. They're so we idiots. Got, we got a, <laughs> they're just idiots. They're all right. right. You know, I'm going to throw out some rapid-fire questions. We've got a little, little over two minutes left. Rocky, true or false? Elias will be Universal or WWE champion before the end of 2018. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say true. Uh, I think that he's proving himself leaps and bounds. One, two, they're obviously behind him. And three, I think the guy has a lot of talent. I am enjoying what he's doing. Dave, same question. False. He doesn't need the belt. He's already super over. Wow, I like that a little dissension there. I, I'm going to say false, cause I, not, for, not because he's over. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. But I'm, I think we're all in a place like we're digging what, what Elias is doing. Dave, true or false? Enzo Amore is absolutely done from the WWE. We will never see him again. <laughs> wow. True. I'm sorry, but you, you I mean, you, you can't come back from something like that, especially now that it's so undetermined, um, whether it's true or whether, whether that took place or not. But, I mean, you never say never in wrestling, but, I mean, you whether, whether you beat this case or not, attached to your name now that you're a celebrity is that you were accused of sexually assaulting a female. And in today's day and age, with what's going on with sexual assaults amongst women and celebrities. I'm sorry, but it, it would be really hard for him to come back from that. I'm going to say false. Just do the, what Dave said. And I agree. Never say never in wrestling. And I'm going to side with Dave there. And I'm going to say true because outside of the sexual assault, he didn't endear himself to anybody in, in the locker room. And he wasn't really that great in the ring. I, to me, he's more of a headache uh, bringing him back than, than the benefit that he, they would give with the comeback. And to your point, societally, Dave, um, I can't see this being a good PR move ever 
for the WWE. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Apologies for the technical difficulties to kick off the show. Hope you guys enjoyed our No Holds Barred show. Remember, next week we are not on the air. I'll be off in Minnesota freezing like it took us off. We'll be back in two weeks. For Dave and Rocky, I am Ken. Good night, everybody.